When I kind of come up with new work, I try to look at it from everyone's eyes and try to make it the most inclusive, sort of most, um, that anybody could kind of get something out of it. Um, and that hopefully it's a positive thing. From the studio of Rule 29, this is Design Of, a podcast about people and process. I'm Wills. And I'm Justin. And this is season four, episode 20. Episode 20, Justin, can you believe it? I can't. I'm excited. How are you Today's, doing? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. Today's guest is one of my favorite humans in the city of Chicago, Matthew Hoffman. He's equal parts artist and designer, but he really blends the two disciplines in some really fascinating ways, which we're excited to talk about. So without further ado, let's jump right in and hear a little bit about Matthew's early years as a kid exploring art and design. So yeah, let's get started. Matthew, yeah. thank you so much for having us to your studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was thinking on the way here, was it two or three years ago? Was it that long ago when you did that show in Geneva? I I bet it's been a while, yeah. Right yeah, on. time really flies. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know I've been threatening to come out here and um, relieve you of some of your artwork. Um, yeah. So hopefully we can accomplish some of that today. But I just kind of want to start with, you know, um, as we get warmed up here, just talk a little bit about... Um, what were you like as as a kid? Were you an artist? Were you creative? Like, what sort of things go as far back as you want? Where do you first remember, like, you know, creating something? Yeah, I uh, I think I was always a tinker, like a, a you know, I was just like always like taking apart radios and you know, like when a car broke, I, I never got, I never figured out how to fix them. I just took them apart, you know, once they were broken. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then like tried to find someone to help me get it all back together. But I was always interested in like how things worked and how things kind of came together. And then at one point there was a little workshop in the corner of like a little workbench in the corner of our garage. Okay. And so I started just like playing around on it and, and messing around on it. And my dad thought like I might like scratch the cars mm-hmm. and so he suggested to look at the basement and at that time we lived in this 150 year old farmhouse a lot and so the basement was mainly a cellar some of the floors were dirt the walls were made of like stones with you know yeah. cement mud and stuff stuck into it's it. kind of a cool yeah. creative place for I mean yeah. how old were you at the time this would have been like well, this, I'm kind of jumping forward. Yeah, this is like seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you think it was cool or did you think it was like dungeony? I thought it was a little of both. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a sign that like our family dog would stand, he would not go down there. Okay. He stood at the top of the stairs and just whined, you know. Okay. And, uh, but like my sister wouldn't go down there. So it was, it was sort of like my like getaway. And, and so we would go to old tool auctions because um, there were because we lived in rural Indiana at the time, okay. and so there were all these sort of like you know it was basically like older people would die and they would auction off all their equipment and yeah, life, yeah. and so we would go and get like the dollar buckets of you know the residual tools that were just left over. Because you you paid a dollar and then whatever you got in there you got in there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, it was super fun, and we found all sorts of like old antique stuff that probably if I would have held on to it might be worth some money, yeah. but. Uh, but yeah, then my dad and I would clean them all up and, and I would try to figure out how they were used or what they were used for. And I would just tear apart like old radio, like we'd get these radios that had the old glass tubes in the back and yeah. TVs and things. And I got shocked by tons of stuff. And, yeah. Um, but and it's I, good. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it teaches you something, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did your dad do? Uh, what was his profession? 
when you were during this time? Like, was he was he, did he work with his hands or not really? He uh, what's funny was he he's kind of joked that like somehow it skipped a generation. Like his <laughs> his dad was very um, hands on and made things, and he did. Um, I actually have it. He made a, a, a small cedar chest. Okay, but then. Yeah, it stopped kind of making things with his hands. So okay. I think that gave more to, like, he kind of just passed everything on to me. So all his tools, um, okay. you know, he had he had given to me, and but he, he wanted to make sure that he didn't, like, lose track of them. So he painted a white D on all of them. And, <laughs> For dad? Or, uh-huh, yeah, well, yeah. or Dwayne. Dwayne, you know, okay, but, okay. And, and so um, I'll still find a tool or something here or there that has a white D, and oh, I'll take it to him when I see him. <laughs> now, um, but it's not like he encouraged you. Yep. He? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah, so I mean, it was just, it was always exploration, always tinkering, um, always just kind of like creating. Um, and at that time, too, uh, all the trade school classes were still in schools. You yeah. know, so middle school and high school, I took woodshop and metalsmithing. That's uh, the best. And, yeah, so I learned a lot. And then uh, it wasn't until I think my last year in high school, I had to take uh, an arts class in order to get my honors diploma. And my mom did, made it very clear that I would be taking an arts class. <laughs> and that you were going to be getting your honors yeah, diploma. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I took this class in graphic arts. And it, we had block scheduling. So it was like four classes a day. So it was the last period of every day. So it was a double class. And learned how to use a camera. Learned how to uh, develop film. Learned how to make prints in a dark room. Learned how to airbrush. And then they had these crazy things. These teal G3 towers. Wow. And I never really touched a computer before and it, yeah, I mean that, that class basically exploded my mind and wow. um, everything else since then is history. Can you remember the first time that you kind of fired up a computer and did something on it? Like, do you remember how you felt? Well, it, you know, it was a, it was really, really interesting, but also really foreign. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so it was my first time using Photoshop and uh, freehand, if you remember. <laughs> All this freehand, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. Um, and I love freehand, actually. I thought it was yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. So, but it just took forever to do things because right. I didn't know how to do it. And also then the programs had less capabilities. Right. And the machines couldn't keep up with what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was it was really cool. And I, the first, or the big project that I did was I made a, a de- I designed and made a book of all the art pieces that I had made that year. Of course you did. Um, yeah. And that makes so much sense yeah. in hindsight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was incredible that you could just do that. Mm-hmm. And we printed it out, you know, and um, you know used a heat press and made this little hardbound book. That's super um, exciting. Yeah. Do you still have it? I do. It's embarrassing. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's beyond embarrassing. No, but it's, yeah, it's cool it, to yeah. look at. I think I still have work I did in high school that I thought was you know awesome, and then even my first college portfolio. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. I was so proud of it at the time. Right. I thought, yeah, well, I hit the pinnacle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I went to Ball State. Okay. Because uh, it was in state. And, you know, in-state tuition was, like, ridiculously yeah. cheap. And so um, I was, you know, so it was Ball State, IU, or Purdue. And my sister had gone to Purdue, and I, I don't know. I picked, oh, I know, I, I picked Ball State because before I took that arts class, we had a, applied uh, the summer between my junior and senior year. So I had applied for elementary education because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that was a great school for that. Okay. Uh, but by taking that class, 
throughout the year, I got more and more excited about mm. art and design. And so we actually called the um, uh, school. And by the end of my senior year, I was admitted into the arts program. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so yeah, I studied graphic design. Because, yeah, my parents were very, very supportive, but my dad said, you got to make sure you get a degree that you can get a job in. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I, I mean, basically, I, yeah, I just kind of just worked my tail off the whole time doing, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of... I think, like, a lot of the shows and things that I did were somewhere between art, design, and pranks. <laughs> oh, and, pranks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tell me more about pranks. What do you mean pranks? Uh... Like sarcasm, commentary, or... Well, so there was a lot of... There wasn't a lot of excitement about the arts in at the school and in other students in general that were outside of the arts program. So we did different things, like we would... Like where you go to a, like a football game and you you know you paint the letters yeah. on your chest right. so we three of us painted art on our chest <laughs> and we told the president of the university that we uh, needed to talk to him about you know something I don't remember what our excuse was but we got in his office with him and we're videoing the whole time and then we ripped off our shirts and like chanted art and <laughs> that's awesome yeah and then he did let us get a picture before he kicked us out um, <laughs> so he at least had a, a, a sense of humor yeah. about him, yeah. yeah, yeah, and just different things like that. Like, uh, I, I was putting on a show. It was a group show, and um, uh, no one was like. I had talked to a lot of people, and I'm like, you know, you guys come to this, and like, oh, I got class, or oh, I got this thing, or eh, I don't know. And so I was just like, well, you know, there's just no excitement, and no one's going to come to this show. So I like created a bunch of controversy about it and then wrote to the the school paper hold on you're not gonna get off that easy what kind of controversy well, did you create i don't know yeah <laughs> i, I might prefer to, yeah i don't remember yeah yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but basically yeah i created a bunch of controversy and then wrote to the paper the paper a letter to the editor saying like oh we're gonna boycott this show and you know we hate this and stuff and so they printed it oh, and fantastic. then it was like on the you know the News, or not the not the city news, but yeah. the school news. Yeah, and uh, it was the biggest attended show ever. <laughs> I mean, the That's dean, fantastic. the dean came. Everybody came. What was the show's theme? What was it about? It was just a sculpture show, it, and that's the thing that in the end there was nothing really controversial. Yeah, and. Uh, and then there was a bunch of discussion about it afterwards, and in everybody's classes. But the thing is, once they found out that it was all an elaborate hoax, everyone got let down and very angry with me. (laughs) And so I feel like in college I did learn a lot of different things about that. Uh, I did another show where um, I felt like it wasn't that interesting for me to just make work. So I made all this work and said that it was made by this old person who made this work in the 70s and you know, created this whole, like, made it very official and gallery-esque and printed big boards and artist statements and, yeah. you know, facts about this stuff. And the, and everyone thought that some other art group had brought the show in. And, uh, you know, I saw, I met someone <clears throat> who said, like, it was the most inspiring show they'd ever seen. And I was like, well, you know what's funny is I did that. <laughs> and you could just see just it all, like... Everything drained. Just total letdown? Yeah, and they were like, that completely ruined it for me. <laughs> and so I had some hard lessons, and I, yeah. I feel like 
I learned that. Sorry, I'm laughing at your. No, pain no, right no. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. I trust it, you. Yeah. On yeah. It, well, exact. Well, what I realized is you you have to. I thought I was helping. I had no evil intentions. Right. But the outcome was sort of, and that what I realized is everyone needs to be in on it, and it needs to help. And so everything I've done since then, it's almost like you learn lessons the hard way to then never repeat. So everything I've kind of done since has been about building everybody up. And I'll still find ways to prank people, like the, you know, caution tape and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, you know, it takes it to a different way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's kind of bridge that gap. Okay. All right, so you go to Ball State, and then how do you end up, like, what's the steps that happen between now and when you started... You know, you are beautiful. So, um, when I got out of school, um, that was 2001, and so I moved back home to South Bend, and, um, you know, this won't sound foreign to you, but anybody else, this will sound very foreign to you, but (laughs) we didn't have a computer in the house. Yeah. So, my dad would go every morning, get the Chicago Tribune, because I really wanted to get to Chicago. Okay. But he was like, you're not just going to go and then look for a job. Like, we can't fund your life. Right. You know, you have to get a job and then move. Right. Well, that's nice that they've even been willing to help bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, he would go every morning, get the Chicago Tribune, come back and circle classified ads, and then uh, make me go to the library and you know either print out and mail in or email my resume to all these different places. And that went on for six months. And at that point, I had like literally given up. Yeah, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. What like, were you doing so that defeating. six months besides that? Were you like doing odd jobs? Were you creating anything? Were I, you depressed? Oh, I was um, working at Meyer. Uh, in the paint, furniture, and hardware department. For those of you who don't know what Meyer is, Meyer is a <laughs> large grocery chain, primarily in Michigan and uh, Indiana, well, it's in the yeah. Midwest now, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And they've got a cup. There's one um, near IKEA. I've okay. Seen. okay. I haven't been to it. Yeah. But. I mean, they're in Illinois now, but yeah. I think it started in Michigan. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was the, there was a really funny moment where they offered me a manager position. And this was about that time where I was just really getting defeated by like, like people just wouldn't respond, right. you know? Like, yeah. And, and um, so, uh, you know, he, my dad went and got uh, the, the Tribune, found this job in Lincolnwood, Illinois. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not, it's, no, I'm not gonna do it anymore. And he like literally forced me, I think he might've even driven me to the library to do it. And that's what got me here. Wow. What was the job? Um, it's at, or it was at Publications International. Okay. Which is in Lincolnwood. And at that point, it had, um, I think, like 200, 300 people. Okay. And, it, and when it got really big, it was up to about 500 people. Wow. And so I worked there 11 years. So what did you do there? Uh, a lot of prototyping of physical products. Um, between uh, sort of like we were the R&D department okay. so somebody would be like I want to do this but with this on it and it's got to cost five cents and so I would physically make the products and then okay. we would send those prototypes to China and then we'd do so a lot of revisions that. and yeah. things um, so this total in your wheelhouse yeah 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 okay. and then we had to make mock-ups of products and so I would make all the mock-ups and uh, we had a big warehouse where all the real products would come in and stuff, and we would always find my products in the warehouse uh, because it, they, they looked real. That's so cool. So it was, for me, it was the perfect job. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you start 
you were beautiful while you were there. Yeah. So ba- it basically started when I moved. Chi- everything kind of started when I moved to Chicago in 2002. Okay. Uh, so it was sort of like a nights and weekends thing for a long time. During these nights and weekends, Matthew began to develop his vision of a new kind of art project, one that would eventually reach people all around the world. All centered around a small silver sticker that read, "You are beautiful." What was the catalyst to to start creating the stickers and that phrase and like mm-hmm. where did that come from? Yeah, so uh, right then, like street art was blossoming and really, really big. The sticker culture was really exciting. Uh, I can admit it now, but you know when you're in a, a job like that, you spend a lot of time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're seeing this world happening, and right. it's, it's really exciting. And uh, also saw it popping up around Chicago too. And so I thought that was really, really cool. So when you say sticker culture, for those who may not be familiar, you're talking about like people who are creating stickers and literally just like putting them on different pieces of um, environment, public yep. stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you know, little characters and you know all sorts of things. Yeah. And <clears throat> um, I loved it because it's public and democratic. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to sort of enter a white cube or you know pay admission. Uh, and then I also loved sort of the interaction that anybody can just come across it and just that you know a lot of people will ignore it, but you know it might completely make somebody's day or mm-hmm. something. And uh, that was really cool. And so at that point, if you would go and put something up in the street, you might see a picture of it on a blog or Flickr or something, and that was amazing. And so that was you know, really cool. So I started doing little things like that um, to kind of like just try that out. Mm-hmm. And was it always that phrase? Did you start with the character or other things or? Yeah, I. So the main start was was that phrase, and I think kind of hearkening back to like the lessons that I learned that weren't positive. I wanted to create something that I thought was true, no matter what, and that uh, no one could have a problem with that everybody would kind of embrace as, uh, you know, something, you know, real. Yeah. And I felt like that that message no one could have a problem with, that it was true to everyone no matter what. Uh, So, yeah, I just started making a few stickers of that and putting those up and then also tried out different phrases in different ways. Like I used, I got some really cool white tape, Mm -hmm. and so I would just go out and and write out things with, with tape. On wall, so a lot of things that were in that vein of street art that had no sort of damage. As Matthew began to experiment with manufacturing the stickers, he saw the potential to create a lasting impression not only on the environments in which the stickers were placed, but on the millions of people that would encounter them. And when you see these stickers, there's something about them that makes them really stand out from the environment. Yeah, so the you know the first the very first stickers were. I just printed um, off of PSPrint.com, mm-hmm. <laughs> and back then, like you didn't, you couldn't just get whatever you wanted printed however you wanted. Right. You had like four options. Yeah. It, yeah. And so I went with business card size, and uh, you had to upload a JPEG, and so they came back <laughs> really pixelated. Yeah. yeah. And not even the right. Like I had one of them green because all the lampposts were green at that point. Okay. And they came like a like a just a gross brown. Okay. Um, and then I found different label manufacturers and so uh, like they had a gold foil starburst and so I just put it right on that gold foil starburst because mm. I thought it'd be fun to put on products and stores yeah uh, but those weren't really weatherproof 
So I started looking into yeah what weatherproof options were, and uh, I'm sure that I saw some like either locksmiths little signs or like the the emblems on machinery and things, and there you know there's something about that like silverness, mm. and so that's a these stickers are 20 year rated outdoor, uh, and it's, they're actually metal. Uh, oh, wow. And they stick to everything, <laughs> so they're really great, and they just last. Because that's one thing: if you're going to do it, like make sure it yeah, kind of lasts for a while. It's going to be around for a while. Yeah, and so I, I like that idea that it could blend in. You might not even see it, but then right at the right moment, it might pop out at you. Um, and that first batch, I remember, was six hundred and eighty-four dollars. And again, I was funding all of this because yeah. I was working a full-time job. So you know, it, I wasn't making amazing money, but. <laughs> you know, enough where I could fund this. But yeah. that one printing, yeah, screwed me up for a couple months. Yeah. And I had to figure out, like, how to pay rent and all that stuff. But, you know, I kind of I kind of loved that. And But I was starting to realize that I couldn't just... If it kept growing, I couldn't self-fund it forever. It would just mm-hmm. be impossible. And so at that same time, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Silva, got a mural job at Block 37 when they were building it and said, do you want to go in on this? And I said, well, how, you know, what is it? And he's like, well, it's, it's like a block-long mural, <laughs> and we have to make it in uh, less than a month. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's do it. And so we made it into a You Are Beautiful mural with his birds going through, and also uh, Mike Genovese was a part of it. And so we translated it into, I think at that point we were able to find 30 languages. Oh, so wow. it was all the different languages. And um, it ended up to be there for, I think, three years while the building was getting built. And so in Chicago, anyway, that was, a, I think, a big moment for the Your Beautiful project mm-hmm. and for um, people beginning to like see it as a thing. So, you um, people start, um, you know, getting the stickers and putting them up. Um, I'm assuming that you got feedback or got stories or examples of where people saw the sticker. Yeah, I well, so at that point I was, and I still prefer to be in the background. But at that point it was a hundred percent anonymous. Um, we actually had a big fight, uh, not fight, but a big like debate debate uh, when we were doing the mural that I actually had my name on it. Um, Because they were like, well, we obviously want our names on it, we think your name should be on it too. And I'm like, I've never had my name attached to it at all. I don't want that, you know, I wanted it anonymous to be more about the message itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I didn't get any direct feedback because I was kind of like, you know, under the radar, but I would, yeah, watch blogs and photos and things. And so you would see like photos pop up and comments about it. And so that's how you could kind of get some feedback. And then the letters too. People, sure. Not only would it be a self-dressed stamped envelope, but people would send letters. As Matthew's work continued to grow in scope and reach, he began to hear from people that had been touched by this simple message. In many ways, this small sticker became something of a movement, an expression of hope for people who were going through a rough season of life. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the letters were, uh, you know, very supportive and basically they they had a lot of the same tone that they had come across one and they had a moment and now they wanted to kind of share that moment with other people so they sent me like 3,000 stickers and (laughs) just write back like, we can only send five, so, you Um, But one one thing pretty early on that kind of hit me in a way that felt a little too, it felt too heavy. Um, someone sent a, like a, you know, people used to print out photographs. 
(laughs) they sent a printed photo of this bridge and it was a a bridge guardrail and there was a like a plaque that I couldn't quite make out and then there was a sticker above the plaque and I guess a year ago like that person's friend had jumped off the bridge Mm -hmm. and so it was a plaque you know memorializing that and she had put a sticker there hoping that if someone else came up was as you know contemplating the same thing that they might take a minute um and it was very uh, amazing, but also yeah, like heavy. Where yeah. I it was more responsibility than I was uh, ready to take on. Yeah. As luck would have it, the closing of one door soon meant the opening of another, and this is really where the "You Are Beautiful" project took off. So I had been there eleven years. Uh, loved the people. Um, my boss is my son's godfather, you know, the CEO and his wife came to every show that I did and bought the biggest piece. Um, the company uh, greatly downsized. So they let go of like a hundred people and then another hundred people and then kind of kept kept going until it's, it's still around and uh, now, you know, n- not to the size it was. Mm. Um, and so I was a part of one of those layoffs. Um, but they uh, kind of took me aside and said, like, you've been here for 11 years. We know that you've been like, kind of working your tail off nights and weekends. Uh, and so we want to give you a year severance to wow. figure out how to make your dreams come true. That does not happen. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. So I ha- that gave me just a little moment um, to, uh, you know, kind of figure everything out. And so I didn't start from scratch. I think if I would have been starting from, from scratch, it would be much, much different. I might not have been able to sort of do it, but all these balls had been sort of like moving and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I kind of hit the ground running and then had a little bit of padding. And then, uh, so as I'm walking out to my car, um, you know, this is one of those stories that like you literally don't believe, but it like happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm walking to my car and, um, before I open the door, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Like I've, this has been my entire life, you know, I've never worked a different job, you know, and I've gone here every day for 11 years, and yeah, life's going to be a little different, and um, looked at my phone, and it was an email from Oprah's people. Come on. And they were like, we want to do a story on you, and so I literally, I like, sat down in the car and wrote them right back, and I'm like, here's literally what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> I've got time. Yeah. I'm not available. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, it, yeah. Because and, and Oprah was still in the city at the time, yep. so yeah. And uh, so then a few months later, yeah, we did a piece and it aired um, on uh, a Sunday morning, part of our Super Soul Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what I was thinking, but I was not at all prepared. My name is Matthew Hoffman and I'm a designer and an artist and have been working on the You Are Beautiful project for the last 10 years. The original idea behind the project was just to create a, a simple, positive, affirming message. Just to say, you're beautiful, you're perfect as you are, like everything's okay. So I started making stickers uh, that just had the simple message on it and I went around and just kind of put a few up and shared them among friends. And uh, at that point it was just like a PayPal button on the site that was like, if you want some stickers, maybe you want like five stickers, send five bucks. If you want. I don't know, 100 stickers, send a little bit more. Um, if you want to help with postage, great. If you're overseas, maybe throw on a couple, but I mean, it, like that's what it said. And then there was a, and then just a, a thing, you just filled in a, an amount and then hit 
give money. <laughs> and that piece aired. We watched it because you could stream it. Yeah. And we were like, oh my god, that's so cool. And uh, then we started getting pings. And we like, oh, this is, this is really, really cool. And then more and more pings. And there was like 6,000 pings in like 20 minutes. <laughs> and so I took it off were you the freaking site. Out? Yeah, well, there was like, like, I don't know, like 200 stickers sitting on a shelf. Yeah, that's all you had. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And so I uh, learned a lot again. <laughs> and uh, what I was bad at and what I didn't, so yeah, there were just these thousands of orders. Mm-hmm. I had, there, you got no sort of confirmation that you had done anything. Mm-hmm. You got no confirmation from me that I know that you did something and that you're expecting something. And so I think I, you know, I just tried to figure out how to get stickers printed as fast as I could and the printer got them to me in I think six weeks. And I didn't really reach out to these people because I didn't really have a way to reach out to all these people. So when people are in the vacuum, they get angry. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, I started getting all these angry letters, and I'm going to tell Oprah on you. And and I responded to the people that emailed me. And in retrospect, I should have just, you know. Put them on the page. Yeah. 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 Sorry about the over-demand. Right. Um, But most people were happy. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, though, too, I was just shoving stickers in envelopes and then, like, licking them shut or putting tape on them and then they were like it just exploding in the mail and <laughs> they were like post office all across America just full of stickers in their back room uh, and so yeah I get like pictures of these envelopes just like ripped up and um, so again I learned my lessons and now we have you know almost a seamless perfect system so now do you th- was the Oprah moment um one of those things that you think gave you some um, nice runway instability to go to like another level or was it more just a moment and then it kind of moved on? Yeah, I think it was a uh, an amazing moment. I think, oh, and then they re-ran it for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> Did they tell you when it was gonna air? No. So, you're, so you're, some so you're, Sundays- Your website would just blow yeah, up. Yeah, so some Sundays, no pings. Some Sundays, a bunch of pings. Never as much as that first one. Right. But it was a great thing and actually it helped through that whole year. And by that point I was really getting and by I think like this the next time it aired I had a full operational web store and you know everything was You're ready to rock. To, yeah. Um but uh I think yeah, I think it was a great moment. I think it took things way up and then I um it was a bubble, but I think it didn't come down to the same level. Okay, so you, you stayed up and have been up for ever yeah, since. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's very cool. Yeah, and it's so interesting because um, I was talking to somebody recently who was writing an article because we did a bunch of billboards mm-hmm. um, out in Buffalo, and he, so he's kind of writing an article about that, and he said it's he thinks that it's absolutely amazing that you've got like young street art skateboarder kids putting these up, and you've got Oprah moms putting these up on their way to brunch yeah and that there aren't many things that sort of like are like so accepted across so many different types of people Mm. Uh, and that I've been really um, excited about recently Matthew has been engaged to create murals and installations for some very large clients in visible locations these include Apple Zappos well uh, uh, hold on rule 29 
Did I tell you this yet? No. Yeah, we have the incredible opportunity to have an original Matthew Hoffman in our office soon. Oh, wow. We got to share some photos of that once we get it installed, right? We absolutely will. But what is your favorite installation that Matthew has in the city? Well, it's got to be our hometown heroes, Cards Against Humanity. Oh, yeah. I love that one. So uh, they moved into a new building and uh, wanted something for the wall. And I actually, to that point, I'd never done anything with LED. And Max was like, you know, try LEDs. I think that that would be really, really fun. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what do you, you know, do you want a your beautiful piece? Do you, you know, what, t- give me some stuff that I can kind of work with. And he had said that his father had always said that um, to always remember that it's nice to be important, but it's also important to be nice, no matter what you do or how big you grow. And so I took that and turned it into sort of a, a shorter phrase that reused the middle word important. So the piece reads, nice to be important, and then you reuse the important, and it says important to be nice. Mm -hmm. And then it has two different sets of LEDs of two different light temperatures that you can tone in and out to to make say that different phrase. Yeah. Yeah. So of your installations that you've done over the last few years, do you have some, some favorites or any interesting stories of how they came about? Uh, my favorite, I think, is the go for it. Uh, I think both because of its scale, where it's at, it's just in such an interesting place, and then also kind of how it came about. So J.B. Daniel, who lives down there, uh, asked me if I wanted to, to do a piece. And, and where is the... Where oh, is sorry, yeah, yeah. In, in Pullman, okay. which is a historic district that used to be part of this Pullman factory and then crumbled, but now is kind of having a little bit of a, a, a comeback with... Um, so it that's kind of where the idea of the messaging came from too, uh, to give a little bit of hope and inspiration. And he just went around to his neighbors and asked for money. He just said, do you want to chip in a hundred bucks? Uh, cause we're going to make a sculpture. And wow. if you don't want to chip in a hundred bucks, do you want to come and help? Cause some of you, you know, there were a couple carpenters and, mm-hmm. you know, in the neighborhood. And so we made that piece for next to nothing. Uh, I went down there for a week. And because you had so much help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I went down there for a week uh, and just stayed there. Uh, it was my oh, it was a, I took vacation from from my work, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we just we built it, and uh, so there was no like yeah meetings, red tape. There was no reviews or like that area, the part of the city. They were okay with it. It was all they proved. were okay. We had to get um, yeah permission um, to do it because it's a historic area and it's now a national park. Really? Yeah. Um, they worked really hard on, on, on making that happen. Okay. And so it was supposed to be there. I think uh, we signed just a contract that it would be there for three months. Mm-hmm. I think it's been three years. Okay. Um, and that's how, a lot of how things that I do sort of operate. You just kind of get them in and, and say, we can take this down at any time. But most of the time, people begin to um, like it and accept it and, and love it. And so then it becomes embraced and then it won't go away and so that piece was made of just like thin indoor plywood and so we've had to go and restructure it a little bit and actually I painted it tan recently Mm -hmm. um, because the wood was really aging so let's talk about your style a little bit yeah so you you um, would it be fair to say it's most of your pieces are um, some sort of lettering lettering style Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so um, sort of your cursive lettering is what I think of most like to go for it and mm-hmm. um, you are beautiful some of the signs you do is um, what inspired you behind that is that your handwriting you know do you have a did you have a process behind creating that 
Yeah, so it, it is my handwriting, but it's a stylized version, like a tweaked version. Mm-hmm. I can't write that nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's just interesting that where, like, the Helvetica of the You're a Beautiful sticker, it blends in. Um, anything sort of, like, handwritten, especially at a scale, is strange. Mm-hmm. And so it really sticks out. Uh, and I think that the, to have a human touch to it, you realize someone is talking directly to you. As Matthew's work continues to reach more people, he's now developing more operational practices that will help him stay above water as he continues to grow in popularity. Well, I think a big thing, it's probably boring to most people, but uh, sort of like the, the background, again, of sort of like how we had that moment where we had no inventory and didn't know how to ship anything. We're not at that stage again, but we're at this stage where we are constantly just bare, like, just-in-time inventory. Hmm. Like, we're working hard and barely getting enough stuff done, and it's already gone before. Like, by the time it hits this table, it's already needing to be shipped, like, a day ago. Wow. So, working on sort of infrastructure, things like that, where uh, I just put through my first order for uh, a million stickers in one batch. Wow. And we're getting them pre-counted and pre-packaged, um, which we've never done. We've always... I've almost counted almost every single sticker. Holy smokes. <laughs> so this will put us at five and a half million. Um, and so we're just doing these things in much bigger quantities. So then, of course, I have to figure out how to pay for them up front. And, um, but then life will be so much easier. So I'm just spending a lot of time working on that. So we'll have that stuff ready to go so that when, when these orders come through, we're like, yeah, an order, like no big deal. Instead of like, oh no, we just got two big wholesale <laughs> orders today. Now we're gonna have to make all this stuff. And so um, that's something that I'm working really hard on and really excited about, but I know it's really boring, so. <laughs> In an ideal world, mm-hmm. someone comes into contact with one of your pieces. What do you hope they feel? Well, what I've kind of always said to that is that I make things and put them out in the world and they're, they're very directly, they try not to tell you how to feel, but they create a moment that hopefully lets you feel something and it maybe takes you on a really short journey or a really long journey. Uh, and whatever that is, I am totally happy with. Um, you know, what I still enjoy is the fact that, you know, people post pictures of these stickers all the time and the, and then we'll get sort of like tagged in it and then that person will respond and be like, oh my god, I had no idea this was a thing. They thought they just found a random sticker, took a picture of it, and they, they love that moment. Mm-hmm. And so I love that um, because they don't have to know that it's some art project in Chicago and all, you know, blah, 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 like that it's, it's like there's something nice about just like creating these like moments. Wonderful. Matthew, thank you so much for your time and showing us around your studio. We're going to be posting pictures of our interview and Matthew on our website, rule29.com slash design of podcast. You can keep up with Matthew by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Hey, it's Matthew or visit his website. Hey, it's Matthew.com. Huge thanks to Rule29 for giving us the space and resources to create this show. Our sponsor for today's episode is O'Neill Printing, a commercial printer committed to bringing your vision to life with state-of-the-art technology, color, and a pioneering approach. Learn more at O'NeillPrint.com. O'Neill Print, made to impress. Design of's audio engineer is Steve Wick. Hey, Steve, you are beautiful. 
B-E-A-Utiful. That's it for this episode. Please give us those reviews and ratings. It really helps to get our show out there. And please follow us on social media at Design of Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have an amazing day. <laughs>